0: From wild beasts to hazardous terrain, early pioneers faced many dangers as they explored uncharted lands. Trailblazing SMEs run similar risks, scouting the tech landscape for new opportunities, but always with the potential of opening themselves up to unforeseen security threats. But while embracing innovation can put you at risk of cyber attacks, it is also your best defense. There are lots of tools and simple strategies you can use if you want to protect your business. So, how can you reduce risk as you innovate? I'm Kate Russell and this is In Good Company, a show full of SME chat with a slice of tech, brought to you by BT. Getting hacked is horrible, and it's becoming more and more common. The latest figures say UK small businesses are being targeted with an average of 65,000 cyber attacks each day. While only one in three were successful, it took a fifth of SMEs a day or more to recover from a hack, on average costing them £894. And with GDPR now in place, not taking adequate steps to protect your customers' data could cost you a lot more over 17 million pounds in fact. In this episode, business owners that have blazed a digital trail share their experiences. One knows what it was like to be hacked, and another, how you go about securing your SME when you're a high-tech pathfinder. Nick Coleman, Duke of Pork from Snaffling Pig, and Duncan Smith, MD of MindLab, welcome to you both.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: And of course, we have to have an expert, and he is going to explain what steps you can take to reduce the risk of innovation and secure your SME. So say hello to Rob Daniels. He's GM for BT Security Portfolio Strategy. Welcome to you, Rob. Welcome. Okay, let's dive straight into the conversation. And Nick... I'm afraid I'm going to come to you first because your business was hacked last February um, and I really appreciate you coming in to talk about the experience. Uh, what did it feel like?
1: Gosh, it was a dark day when we found out. Um, it was one of those moments where you thought, uh, ah, this can't be happening to me and there was kind of a lot of, um, I guess, pressure on me to uncover what was going on. Uh, instantly want to lash out at the staff around me and kind of blame somebody. I wanted to blame literally the hacker, my member of staff, the bank, uh, even myself, and then just kind of over a course of a couple of days started to try and put it back into perspective and realised that actually it wasn't the end of the world as I originally thought it was at the beginning.
0: That must have been absolutely horrible. How did it happen?
1: It really was horrible. Uh, so if we go back a step, so I had a pork scratching business and I, it kind of never in my wildest dreams did I think that anyone would want to steal my data or I would be a victim of any kind of hack. Uh, but what actually happened was that we received an email from my director and the director had asked for a, an amount of money to be transferred uh, to a new bank account for a brand new supplier, and as a small business, you're always adding in new suppliers all the time. The email was written very informally, pretty much in the same language as my director would would write, and it was from the exact email address of that. And it went straight to the finance manager, they authorised the payment there and then, they did a same day payment for about nine and a half thousand pounds. And it was about two hours after the email was sent that I was looking through my emails and saw the tone of this email was just ever so slightly off how my director would talk. I could pick up on it, but my finance manager wouldn't. So I gave him a call and said, what's going on? Who's this new supplier? Sounds exciting at which point he said, no idea what you're talking about, mate. Uh, Show me this said email, at which point uh, fear set in, nine and a half grand for big businesses is not a lot of money. For us, that's a proper game changer. You know, that is really kind of life or death. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a difference between whether we have enough money at the end of the month to pay the bills. So So the world kind of crumbled around me and we got straight on the phone to the bank to say, hey, can we stop this payment but unfortunately, because we'd rushed it through as the same day, it already left our bank account, gone into oh. a different bank account. And when we managed to speak to the other bank account, um, due to data protection, we weren't allowed to get any details. But we since found out that within moments of it landing, it had been transferred out of the country, and there was no way of getting it back.
0: Where did you? get to with your security before this you know what what was your setup when this happened to yeah. you
1: so I mean the business started on the back of me literally going pub to pub selling pork crackling I started it because I just I just love pork crackling <laughs> I'm
0: um, with you on that
1: <laughs> and I just thought wouldn't it be fun if, if I literally just go uh, out there and sell some and if I don't sell it I can always take it home and eat it myself so it's kind of a passion project and that's kind of how Most businesses start, they start on kitchen tables and you stumble from one mistake to the next and then you learn from that and you improve. And so we've been going about three and a half years. It never dawned on me that I need a financial process in place to prevent fraud happening. Almost we've had to go through this, and it's been painful. It's a it's a £9,500 um, learning uh, that we hope will never happen again. But we now try to put in process. I won't explain it exactly, but we've put in processes to, to try and stop this happening by using lots of different medium so that when an, an email is sent in future... That finance manager has to literally go and talk to someone face to face and make sure that payment is actually requested. Because we're such a small business, we need to kind of utilise the fact that we are small. We're all in the same room, so a face to face conversation is easy. I guess for someone like BT, for a brand new supplier, that's probably absolutely impossible um, to have that kind of face to face. But we use the fact that we're a small guy. That means that we can we can kind of have the benefit of that.
0: Robert, I mean, I can see you nodding, right?
2: First of all, I'd like to thank Nick for coming on on the show Mm. because um, it's not always easy to talk about when when effectively you've been violated. It's almost Mm. personal. It feels like a violation. And in a small business, not much different than a family. It's not much different than having someone having broken into your home. And how do you feel after that? Mm. But cybercrime has unfortunately become so pervasive that actually people are no longer scared to talk about when they've been attacked. Because for many people, it's just a matter of time. Uh, One of the other things I just think is so interesting about this uh, particular attack is that, honestly, it's hard to say that anybody at Snaffling Pig did anything uh, negligent. It was just looked like a normal course of business. They had a certain level of trust, and that trust was violated. That happens so often. The third thing I want to point out is even the method of attack. One of the things that is increasingly true is that effectively has become a commodity. On the dark web, you can easily pay just a few pounds to hire someone who has the sophistication or has the tool to do this kind of email spoofing attack. Mm. So it, effectively, you're starting to see increasing amounts of, uh, of actually organized crime who uh, recognize that actually going after the big multinationals is too difficult. They, it 's a business for them; they know by going after smaller players who think, why would anybody think I have anything of value so they don 't put the appropriate amount of security they 're the ones that they go after, and then this is the consequence
0: and they 're probably trying to shoot for sort of uh, f- figures in terms of you know the the, the amount the value of the of, of the benefit that they get that would just probably fly under the radar exactly. of anybody who is looking out out for things i mean Nick
2: made the, the, sorry, made the point that. 9,000 pounds to a multinational would seem like nothing. They, they spend that in a second. But to a small business, that really could put them under. So it may seem small when it, if it's reported in the press, but to that business, it's life or death. So
0: it's- been one year since GDPR now was introduced the biggest shake up in data privacy for 20 years arguably carrying a fine of up to 17.3 million pounds for SMEs that leak their customers information how much more concerned has this law made you about cyber security but how what's the bit of been the impact on you nick
1: from a small business perspective there are a thousand things out there that are trying to kill me whether it is um, uh, the, the kind of state of the economy, whether it is um, HR issues, uh, legal issues, trademark issues, um, it's customers, uh, sales, um, uh, customers going bust. So this was just another one of a very long line of, of things that as a small business owner, I had to get my head round, And it is incredibly complicated. So at the very beginning, we did Kind of ignore it um, when it was launched. When it was, you know, we were told that it was going to be happening. Lots of people out there saying that you know you, you could pay a lot of money to get some consultant to come in and tell you what you need to do, uh, but not having any money, we wanted to kind of do it ourselves. We then applied a bit of common sense to it and thought, well, if it was my data, how would we want to handle this? So we started to look into that. Um, but it was never really put to the top agenda until a couple of weeks before things started to kick off and this you know, horrific fine was kind of implement. implemented. Well, you explained that you could actually lose a lot of money, there's a real impact to you. Uh, then we started to treat it very seriously and um, went a bit mad uh, GDPR-wise. And I think a lot of people kind of, I wouldn't say overreacted, but I remember getting a lot of emails uh, saying that we're going to be removed from uh, email subscription lists, etc., uh, we didn't do anything like that. Um, we just made sure that our, our customers had the option to opt out if they wanted to. Now, obviously, they have the option that they have to opt in rather than opt out. So we opting in. Uh, and then we just literally have a confidential waste bin uh, around every corner. And everyone is very vigilant of data. We kind of see it as important as cash now, whereas before, I guess, businesses would have seen it as um, like waste, really. Mm. They would happily have thrown stuff in the bin when they probably should have shredded it. Uh, but it, I'm not going to lie, it's just a, one of many, many things that are on my list at the moment, and um, it is as important as other things, but I can't dedicate too much time to it because I've got to run the business as well.
0: You've got to sell pork Got snatchings. to sell some pork, <laughs> yes. <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> right, Duncan, let's bring you into the conversation now. We've heard Nick's experience, and you know, as shocking as it is, it's commonplace, fairly much for, I think, for a lot of people. Any SME is at risk of being attacked. Um, And you have a -a one-of-a-kind business, right? Your company, MindLab, has been nominated for a Business Innovation Award. Can you sort of talk to us about what you do and, and, and what that award was for?
3: Yeah, so we're essentially a, a market research company, a consumer insight company. We, we started very much as what's called a neuromarketing company. So we wired people's brains up and we used eye tracking and all sorts of neuroscience type methodologies to just try and figure out what made people tick apart from what they said. Mm. And what we did a few years ago is, is move all of our operation completely online. So in a nutshell, what we do is we measure people's intuitive responses and their gut feelings so we scratch beneath the surface a little bit the sort of information that people wouldn't want sharing because it's the stuff that we find out about people that they don't necessarily articulate
0: but when it comes to actually people's personal health records you know perhaps in your case you know mindfulness kind of content i don't know if that's even <laughs> a thing but um do you have to take sort of special precautions like for, you know like you would if it was medical records
3: well, to be honest, GDPR has been a great thing for us because our clients have insisted that we adhere to the strictest guidelines uh, as we absolutely should. And so, what we've what we've done is we've had to really have a, a root and cause look at our company to try and determine what what makes it tick and and how we are collecting this data. In reality, what we do is we see whether one bottle of whiskey label uh, is more appealing than another, or how we should uh, visually articulate a charity or something. So we're trying to find out the normal stuff that you'd get from uh, market uh, research. But it's it's the fact that we scratch beneath the surface. And I mean, as I mentioned earlier, Nick was saying about how GDPR is another one of those things. It's been great for us because We don't now, with our online platform, we don't uh, recruit people ourselves. We'll use a survey company. The big survey companies have got access to millions of people worldwide, and they have had to look very hard at GDPR. So when we test people now, we get a randomised participant ID, so we collect absolutely no data on them. Whereas before, we would have been able to, and it was a bit more lax. So GDPR has helped us making sure that we're secure because the people that we use to get the people to do our tests are really looking at things carefully.
0: Interesting. So, you know, again, in your experience, the, the reality of GDPR has not been as scary as uh, the, the sort of hype leading up to it led, led you to think it might have been. So what prompted you to assess your cybersecurity needs and how did you go about finding the gaps in your firewall, as it were?
3: You know, in addition to us losing our data on the floor in a million pieces, we also had phishing attacks very similar to Nix. I can remember our uh, bookkeeper sending me an email saying, of course, uh, I'll send this payment later today and have the same thing. It was signed by my name and it looked from an email with my actual name in the email address. Fortunately, we noticed it in time and didn't have to pay the £10,000 that you had to. Once we started speaking to the company that set up our IT, they said that they've got loads of clients that have had the same problem. It seems to be that, that amount, that under £10,000 that people think is realistic. You know, if someone asked you for £400,000, you would have smelt a rat. Um, it's funny you say that because um, I've had another business that was, was 180000 they wanted
1: and it, we smelt a rat straight away. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that interesting? So, yeah, the lower the amount
3: of money, the easier it is just to slip through the net. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so we're thinking it was basically, okay, let's disaster check, let's think of the worst case scenario and try to put into place contingency plans to do that.
0: Mm. Have you any of you ever thought um, or or got any feelings about friendly hackers, the white hat hacking community? Because I've met quite a few of them and actually been on stage with quite a few of them. and, And a lot of the big corporates now are actually offering bounties, Rob, right? Uh, Absolutely. And we
2: have our own ethical hacking team. We use them quite a lot uh, to attack ourselves, because we need to always make sure that we are protecting our own defences.
0: Duncan, how would you feel about inviting a hacker to, uh, or a community of hackers to test your uh, defences?
3: Theoretically, it sounds a great idea. The, The only caveat that we've actually got is that What if they actually break something? But we we have tried to do something very similar uh, in-house as well. We have quite a number of developers. And one of the problems that Nick had is the... Phishing email uh, was a spoofed email that came from the correct address, and so we p- had something put in place. It was not expensive, called DMARC and DKIM, which Rob will probably explain in a bit more detail. But what that does is it it uh, stops people spoofing your email, and you know, small measures like that, and even two factor authentication for email accounts, and making people, forcing people to change their passwords, and user password managers that that's a brilliant thing we can share passwords with people and when they leave the company what's well, not relevant we can just switch on their off their access and it doesn't mean that we have that master password that's gone out with every past employee so there are simple things that make a real difference
0: we've heard rob i want to talk about um you know a bit more about the sort of the the, the cyber security kind of technicalities we've heard nick's story um very typical really isn't it absolutely what would you um you know how much targeting of this kind of business? And and are there any differences between the two businesses? You know, we've got Nick and Duncan here. Are they both of the, of the same kind of risk? They seem pretty different.
2: Well, and that's, I think that's a very important point. Uh, we tend to talk about small businesses as one big group or one big collective, but there's actually a very broad range of types of small businesses. So on Duncan's, this uh, is as an example, it's very much focused on data, on personal data, actually also works with a lot of suppliers. So it was, is very cyber security aware and would have already had it baked into their business, how do they maintain security? It's essential for them to operate. It's also important for them to be trusted. Uh, we, on the other side, we have a more traditional retail business where security is important, but maybe isn't seen as integral to the business operations. So there, there's probably a bit more education that needs to happen. There's also a, a an underst- uh, need to understand that security has to be designed for that business. So for the snaffling pig business, again, there's probably some relatively simple tools that could be put in place that will significantly increase the security of that business. Whereas with a Duncan's business, uh, they will need a lot more sophisticated tools because they are working with much more valuable information that can more easily be be stolen.
0: And they both seem to have um, diversified away from actually having... Customer data, or maybe not so much, Nick, I don't know, but it certainly seems like um, Duncan's not holding any information about people. Is that a smart move on his part?
2: That is a smart move. The only thing that I would always caution a small business is to make sure that where you're storing that data is in a, a, a cloud that you also trust. At the same time, you also need to make sure you don't trust the cloud too much. I've talked to too many small businesses who have said, oh, I use Amazon. They must be secure, so I'm fine. There's nothing I need to do. But we need to recognize that the cloud providers, yes, security is important. It's important toward the operation of their business. But they will will secure the cloud itself. They won't always secure what you're putting inside the cloud. Nor will they take any responsibility if you take that data out of the cloud. Mm. So still recognizing that, yes... The security of the cloud is very important to know and to understand, but it's not sufficient to ensure that you have the security of your whole business.
0: And ultimately, if your devices that you're using to connect to the cloud are not secure, then all a criminal needs to do is get hold of one of those devices, and they've Absolutely. got their way
2: in. That is one of the biggest uh, uh, innovations and productivity improvements of the cloud. Is it actually allows people to work remotely, to use mobile tools, their iPads, their d- mobile phones, and all the, all sorts of devices. Uh, we're now seeing an increasing. Amounts of Internet of Things devices such as Alexas and the like. Uh, that's great for what the cloud has enabled, but that means that actually increasingly a lot of personal sense of data that might have been kept on a central server locked in a room is either in the cloud, which is still probably has a level of security, but could also be on your phone. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how much uh, valuable information, whether it's their own personal information or the information of their clients, is actually just kept on that device that you could easily just leave on a train.
0: So let's, uh, you know, for people listening at home who are thinking, oh, gosh, I really, you know, (laughs) I didn't know what two-factor authentication was either, and you know, and I, I really should start looking at this. Let's just sort of run through the key things that our listeners should be doing. So First of all, presumably, you know, make sure that you've got your data shored up, two-factor authentication, all of the things that we've spoken about. Next step.
2: Make sure that you, for any security devices you do have, like firewalls, that they are patched because that's one of the easiest vulnerabilities for cyber criminals to go patch, after. That
0: means use, do the updates that are recommended do the updates. to just you like by your iPhone, Just like with your iPhone
2: or with uh, any computer, just accept any patch or update that is uh, critical for that firewall.
0: Yes. And, and actually, lots of people tend to put off patching their mobile phones, but very often it's a security flaw that it's, it's patching. Exactly.
1: <laughs> How do you know that patch is from that company?
2: So with most uh, security companies, they themselves will have a secure communication to that firewall. Uh, being a secure, uh, security company, they, uh, you would think that that would be the case. Again, um, you will, they will never uh, update that firewall without your permission. So there's still always ways when you get that email to look at that email to make sure, does it look like it's authentic? Uh, Maybe even
0: give the company a call and exactly. say, did you send me this email? Yeah,
2: exactly. And just to verify that this is a, this is a valid patch, take all the steps and then do the patch.
0: Mm. Uh, and on your phone, uh, basically the, it'll be through the um, app store that you downloaded the app. So as long as the updates are coming through the app store, as long as the app that you've downloaded. And again, I have a malware checker on my phone which exactly. actually checks the apps that I'm installing to make sure that they don't have any malware in them. Yeah. Um, okay, what next?
2: So I think we've already talked about two-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. Um, having a, a, a malware t- malware tool itself, also very valuable, not on its own, but it is, as a suite, Um, And then again, that training, that education, just learn about how to spot potential attacks, because technology will not always be able to block them themselves. And then finally, make sure that you have a plan in place. So if something unfortunately does happen, you know what to do about it.
0: Mm. wargaming those potential scenarios. Um, and also, if you're approached by a friendly hacker, an ethical hacker who says that they found a hack, uh, that must be pretty scary, but you shouldn't feel threatened by that, right? If a hacker's coming to you saying there's a vulnerability in your system, um, we're going to give you the time to sort it out, that's a good thing, right?
2: <laughs> that, that's a good thing. I would still may want to verify it. First, because I don't know that many ethical hackers who will proactively go out to a small business and say, by the way, you have a vulnerability. So just make sure they really have that white hat on. But absolutely, um, there are people out there that do this because they feel, uh, again, it's their mission to try to protect customers or protect uh, small businesses. And so, yeah, it's, it, there's, it's very difficult to be 100% secure. So having someone help you understand that you may have a bit of a vulnerability, yeah. um, I think that t- uh, treat that as a gift. The other thing I would just say small, there's a lot of um, help out there for small businesses. Obviously, BT, itself health, uh, has guides and we have people that can help small businesses with their security. Uh, the, the, the UK government actually puts out a lot of guidance. Uh, one very simple tool, uh, Cyber Essentials. Uh, it, I wouldn't say that rely on it 100%, but again, it gives some very simple advice. Uh, there's, uh, there's plenty of of companies out there that can help customers understand what their security looks like and what steps that they should take to make uh, their their infrastructure that bit safer. So there's a lot out there to help. It's just, as I can sympathize with a lot of, particularly the smaller businesses, is just taking the time.
0: I think we've sort of like given it a fairly good sort of talk out all of this but just to round off what I'd like to do is ask each of you to think of what your key takeaway is that you either uh, have taken yourself from the conversation or that you would like listeners to take from the conversation so I think Rob let's start with you um you know what 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 would be the, the if, if people remember nothing else after they turn off their their podcast delivery device, what, what would you like them to remember in action?
2: Patch, patch, patch. <laughs> Patching will actually eliminate a vast majority of your vulnerabilities. That's
0: Don't I mean. put off the patch. Don't
2: put off the patch.
0: And your second tip?
2: The second tip is recognize most small businesses are, are not alone in, not rec- in their lack of understanding of the security uh, vulnerabilities that they may be faced with and what they need to do about that. There's so, often
0: shame, isn't there, that you don't know, oh, I didn't know that this was going to happen. It should not be
2: a, you should mm. absolutely not be ashamed. You have your business to run. Mm. And you want to be focusing on making sure that your business is a success It's just a recognition that security needs to be part of that success, not get in the way of it. So just educate yourself Mm -hmm. on what you can do. Take some very simple steps, like we talked about patching or two-factor authentication or making sure that you have your malware tools up to date, not just on your laptops, but on your mobile devices. Simple steps can actually make a
0: huge difference. Absolutely. Duncan?
2: It's
3: passwords. It's change all of your passwords. And the reason why I say that is looking at the news day in, day out, there'll be the company that I bought flowers for my mum on has had it. It's a database hacked. And there's there's so many uh, examples of that. And so there is a chance that somewhere, somewhere on the dark web, your email and your password is readily available. And people may be watching and waiting, that may have been the case for Unic, where they're just seeing who emails whom and actually go, okay, let's spoof this, and and they win. And so if we change everything, and don't change it to the same thing as everywhere else, that's why password managers are brilliant. They store passwords that are nonsensical. All you need to know is one master password. Make it a sentence, make it a rhyme, make it something quirky, and that it's not used anywhere else. Then at least, if one place gets compromised it doesn't mean every other account is compromised.
0: Nick, I'm going to leave the last word to you because I have to say I really appreciate you coming in and sharing your experience because I think a lot of people will be in the same position that you were in. And it's clear that the steps that you've taken to shore up your defences, you know, everybody should be doing What would be your takeaway that you would like or or that you you can give me two, actually, if you you feel like giving us the biggest takeaway that you've taken from the the, the discussion. But also, what, what would you like our listeners to remember?
1: As a small business owner, you are absolutely a jack of all trades, master of none. And that's okay. That's what makes us great. That's what makes us get up in the morning and continue to fight the good fight. And it's okay not to have all the answers. And I definitely didn't when it comes to this. I'm actually, it kind of bores me a little bit. I'll be honest, cybersecurity, it's one of those things that I know I have to do. I'll put off for another day because it won't happen to me. But the fact is, it's not about if it happens. It's when you are most likely in your life, probably going to have a cyber attack happen to you. And it's about how prepared you can be for that. So my biggest kind of message to everyone is to just be vigilant, to just ask the right questions uh, to to as many people as you can and just say, hey, look, I use this platform, Shopify, is there anything we should be watching out for um, to improve our cybersecurity? So ask as many questions as you can to as many people as you can in hopefully different industries so that you can kind of bring those best practices to your to your business. And then I guess sitting around the table here, you know, there is a it's OK to feel daunted in this arena because it's completely natural. There's a lot of jargon. There's a lot of very clever clever people with some very big brains who have, uh, are working in the background to, to build cybersecurity and make us secure. Um, and it's OK not to have all the answers.
0: We have hacked ourselves completely out of time. The threats may be mounting, and I hope that we've shown you today that it's still worth taking those bold steps on the trail of innovation, provided you have your eyes fixed firmly on the safety of your cargo. Forewarned is forearmed, as they say, and you now have lots of tools and tips to keep your business, people and customers protected. Thank you so much to my great company we've had in the studio, to Nick Coleman, Duncan Smith and Robert Daniels. Thank you so much to you guys. Um, And of course, all of you for listening at home. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a shout out on Twitter. You can tag us in on at BT Business and let us know what you found most useful. That is all from me, Kate Russell, in good company. For more insights, help and advice on staying protected in business, head to bt.com forward slash stay protected. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts in this series of In Good Company. Goodbye. Goodbye.